0: With Valentine's Day just around the corner, love is in the air. It's a good time to remind ourselves of some basic definitions, like what is a marriage covenant anyway? Here's Pastor Trent Griffith. This is not a contract. You don't get to decide
1: what you do based on what he does or she does. A covenant is a promise to remain faithful regardless of the performance of the
0: other person. That's a marriage. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Okay guys, I need your full attention. Don't forget Valentine's Day coming up on Thursday. And if you're a man, I can guarantee that your lady will appreciate whatever thoughtful thing you do to make her day special. And it works the other way around too, ladies. You know, the longer I'm married, the easier it is to take my wife for granted. And I don't want that to happen. So that's why some solid biblical reminders on the value of marriage are good for all of us to hear. Pastor Trent is in the middle of a series on Resonate called Marriage is Obsolete and other modern marriage myths. Let's listen together. I wanna invite
1: you to open your Bibles to the book of Malachi. You say, where is that? Find Matthew and go backwards a few pages. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. And uh, we have been learning some myths about marriage, and we have been obliterating those myths and replacing them with the truth. The reason that we're in this series, I told you a few weeks ago, I was only talking to two people because I had some final premarital counseling to get in before Brooke and David got married on Friday night, and they did. It was amazing. Our family has been crying and laughing and eating and dancing. It's just been the best time ever. I mean, Friday night was just awesome. That was uh, 22 years in the preparation, and we wanted to make sure that they were not believing modern marriage myths. And so that first one we talked about, marriage is obsolete. Like 40% of the people their age don't even think marriage is a thing. It's unnecessary. It's old fashioned. So we obliterated that and replaced it with this truth. Marriage is good. Marriage is good for you. And then the second week, that second myth we learned, uh, a lot of people think marriage will make me happy. But if you're married, you know that's not true. So um, we learned that no, only God can make you happy. If you think marriage is going to make you happy, you're asking marriage to do something God never intended it to do. Marriage doesn't make me happy. Marriage makes me better. That's the truth. And if I get better, I got a better chance of being happy, right? And then the third myth we looked at last week was uh, love will hold my marriage together. Not true, not true, that's a myth. Here's the truth, marriage will hold my love together. And we got a new definition of marriage. God's definition of marriage has nothing to do with feelings, it's all about actions. And so we learned that from 1 Corinthians 13 last week, which brings us to myth number four. If you're ready for it, say, I'm ready for it. So here's myth number four. Myth number four is this, my children will be fine even if my marriage isn't as heavy. Some of us think our children aren't paying attention to our marriage. Some of us think, you know, you don't, you don't need to be married to have kids. Marriage will be fine. Kids will be fine even if you're not married. Nothing could be further from the truth. Here's the truth. The truth is this. The health of my marriage greatly impacts the health of my children. Now, let me just say at the beginning here, I am looking into faces that tell me there's a lot of brokenness and damage and history and regret. And if I'd known what I know now, I wouldn't have done what I did then. I recognize all that. And I want to remind you before we dive into this, that this is a place of grace. God welcomes your brokenness. If you will humble yourself and bring all those broken pieces of of broken marriage, and broken relationships and broken parenting. You bring all of that to Jesus, in the gospel, you get a fresh start, new beginning, boundless grace, unlimited mercy, all because of what Christ did for us on the cross. And so do not go out of here feeling condemned. If you will bring all of your brokenness to Jesus, That's a great place to start. I'm looking into faces that that used to be broken. He brought all that brokenness about marriage and relationships, and I'm looking at some incredible, incredible stories of grace. But you have to humble yourself. You have to put yourself under the authority of God's Word. What we're about to do is look at God's original design. The reality is my children will either be drawn to marriage based on what they've seen in my marriage or they will withdraw from marriage based on what they see in my marriage. The people that are cheering the loudest for your marriage to work are your children. But when mom and dad fail to have an intimate, permanent, durable marriage, the ones that suffer the most are the next generation. When we believe that marriage is obsolete, men and women become dads and moms without becoming husbands and wives, and as a result, boys and girls fail to want to have anything to do with becoming husbands and wives. Do you see the problem? That's what happens when a culture thinks marriage is obsolete. So we are replacing it with the truth here. We're going to summarize those comments in about three points. But have you been paying attention to the news? Before we even open the Bible to replace the myth, we know this instinctively, that children shouldn't be separated from parents. Is that an obvious truth? There's been a lot of attention to what's been going on on the southern border, uh, in the immigration policy, and yet, have you noticed the silence with regard to what parents voluntarily do to separate a child from their biological mother and father? There's been silence on that. I was reading uh, an article from the Washington Post. The headline of this particular article was this. It says, what separation from parents does to children? Now, this article was written as a critique on U.S. immigration policy. But I want you to listen through the ears of marriage and parenting. This is what they say. Research on child-parent separation is driving pediatricians, psychologists, and other health experts to vehemently oppose the Trump administration's new border crossing policy, which has separated more than 2,000 immigrant children from their parents in recent weeks. This is what happens inside children when they stay when they are forcibly separated from their parents. Their heart rate goes up. The body releases a flood of stress hormones such as cortisol and adrenaline. These stress hormones can start killing off dendrites, the little branches in the brain cells that transmit messages. In time, the stress can start killing off neurons and especially in younger children, wreaking dramatic and long-term damage, both psychologically And to the physical structure of the brain. The effect is catastrophic, said Charles Nelson, a pediatrics professor at Harvard Medical School. There's so much research on this that if people paid attention, they would never allow this to happen. Nearly 7,700 mental health professionals and 142 organizations have also signed a petition urging President Trump to end the policy, which he did, to pretend that separated children do not grow up with the shrapnel of this traumatic experience embedded in their minds is to disregard everything we know about child development, the brain, and trauma. Trauma. And I would add the Bible because God's plan is for biological mothers and biological fathers to be in a one flesh covenant love relationship called marriage and provide the divine context to raise the next generation of children. Marriage is not obsolete, and we instinctively know it, but somehow we ignore the data about what separating children from biological parents does. Let's consider these three points. First of all, marriage provides mothers help from fathers, and fathers help from mothers let's see it on the first page of our bible this is where we get the building blocks of everything so what is god's original design genesis 1:27 and 28 and 29 say this so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them and god blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In other words, have babies, raise them together as a male human and a, male, and a female human working together, not only to produce, but to raise the next generation of children. Now, just think about God's logic here. God is creator. He could have created the world any way he wanted to. He did not have to create gender, but he did. And when he did, he made men dependent upon women to procreate. And he made women dependent on men to procreate. In other words, God did not want us raising children by ourselves, were dependent upon a partner, not only to create them, but to raise them. In other words, God created the first team sport called parenting, okay? God did not design men to raise children without women or women to raise children without men. You've seen our family, Andrea and I have these five children. We have four biological children and then when the two oldest ones left, we decided we got way too much room in this house and we got nothing else going on. So let's just add um, another child to the mix. And so now we have five. Now, when Brooke arrived, 1996, we could double team her, right? But then when Zach arrived 13 months later, now we had to switch to a man-to-man defense, right? And then a little while later, Allie showed up. Now you got to switch to a zone defense because you are outnumbered, okay? So he's like, we got one that's on the loose because we can only take care of two at a time in the man-to-man thing. So you, you have a, a zone defense. And then Leah showed up. Now you got to switch to a prevent defense. That's the only thing that works at that point. And then after that, you just keep throwing them in there. It's all prevent defense. But the truth is, God did not design mothers, to raise children without fathers or fathers to raise children without mothers. Some of you are single moms and single dads, not by choice. And you are courageously raising these children by God's grace, empowered by his spirit. And that's what the gospel does. Some of you are gospel grandparents and you're raising your grandchildren because your children haven't. And so there's, there's so much abundant grace for children, and, and there's love in a gospel community where we partner together with friends, acting as surrogate moms and surrogate dads and grandparents, and we need each other. That's the community called church. And so, yes, there's so many people involved. Here's the second truth. Marriage is the greatest gift that you can give your children. And I want you to see it here from Malachi chapter 2. I ask you to open your Bibles to Malachi 2. If you're there, say, I'm there. Let's begin reading here in verse 13. And before we begin reading, let me set up a little bit. Where are we in the Bible? Okay, we're in the last book of the Old Testament. Here's what's happening in the history of God's people. There was a time when God's people were disobedient. They came under the judgment of God. God allowed an enemy nation to invade Babylon, and he carried captive the children of Israel back to Babylon. For 70 years, they were slaves uh, there in Babylon. Then God raised up a king, sent the people free and said they could go return to their homeland in Israel. Now even though they returned to their the land of God, not all of them returned to the law of God, and not all of them experienced the favor and the blessing of God because even they were geographically where they were supposed to be, they still weren't spiritually where they were supposed to be, and a lot of them began believing the myth Marriage is obsolete. That's the context into which the prophet Malachi addresses the people of God. And we pick up the story in Malachi 2, verse 13. He says, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. What were the people sensing? They were sensing like, God is not like paying attention to us. God's not blessing us. His presence is so far away. God seems so distant. Why is he withholding favor? Why is he not answering our prayers? Why is he not accepting our offering? And that's what they ask in verse 14. Verse 14. But you say, why does he not? And he gives the answer. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth. In other words, God's watching your marriage. God's watching how you treat your wife. God's watching how you treat your husband. And God's not happy with the way that you're treating your wife or your husband. And so it says... He was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. Remember those promises you made for better, for worse, in sickness and health, richer, for poorer, forsaking all others as long as we both shall live. You remember some of that? Yeah, God thought you were serious about that. That's why he sent along a little poorer and a little sicker to see if you would actually be faithful. And he says, you weren't. And as a result, God has withdrawn his presence. And it goes on, it says, though she is your companion, your friend, your helper, and your wife by covenant. This is not a contract. You don't get to decide what you do based on what he does or she does. A covenant is a promise to remain faithful regardless of the performance of the other person. That's a marriage. And he says, you've been faithless. So this is what he says in verse 15. Did he, God, not make them one? Remember the male and female thing? Those thems. Male, one male, one female made into one marriage for one lifetime to pursue oneness spiritually, emotionally, and physically. That's what God made when He made marriage. Did He not make them one? Yes. But Trent, you don't understand how hard this is. I mean, marriage is hard. You can't expect like one guy to like be faithful to one woman for one lifetime. And that's ridiculous. In this culture, you can't even believe that. That's ridiculous. Nobody can do that anymore. Yeah, that's why the next part says he gave us a portion of the spirit in their union. God knows how hard this is. That's why he's given you a helper. It's called the Holy Spirit. Jesus left the Holy Spirit to enable and to empower every person who is genuinely born again to do things that would be impossible if you didn't have the Spirit. This is what makes us distinctly Christian. We are faithful to our marriage vows because the Spirit is dwelling in us and empowering us to keep those things that sound impossible to a lost world. But did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And then he asks you a question. What was the one God seeking? Did you know that God was seeking something from your marriage? This is what God initiated, and there's something he wants from your marriage. And he supplies the answer. What was the one God seeking? Answer, godly offspring, godly children. So guard yourselves. Build a fence around your marriage. Eliminate every temptation, every attack. Guard yourselves in your spirit. Let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Marriage is the greatest gift you can give to your children. Because it's in the context of one man and one woman pursuing oneness over one lifetime that children experience safety, security, commitment, and love. A few years ago, we built a house. And after you build a house, you know, you don't have a yard, you just have a mud pit that the children track in the nice house, right? And so we wanted some grass and we wanted it fast. And so I called this company called Hydro Seed. Do you know of this? This is an amazing thing. They, br- they bring a big tanker truck out to your house. They pull out a big hose and they spray your yard with this concoction. And I said, well, what's in the concoction? He said, oh, everything you need for- to grow grass is in the concoction. I'm like, well, what's in there? They said, well, grass seed, fertilizer, peat moss, because it does something to change the acidity in the soil, great. Water, and then they have this f- green foam that's amazing. It pops up and it actually like, gives you a fake yard instantly. It's like a toupee for your yard, it's amazing. <laughs> Pretty soon, grass is growing. But let me ask you a question What if they had just left out one ingredient, like the seed? or the water or the fertilizer. You leave out one ingredient, no grass. The same is true with children. If you wanna grow children, you need all of the ingredients, like a mom and a dad and love and commitment and security. Now listen, again, there are so many things. I know some of you are resisting. Well, what if, what if, and what about, and I didn't have, listen, I get it. There's no guarantees, right? Because all of the children are sinners. And there has to be a regenerating of their spirit to have any inclination to do anything that would be godly, right? But God uses the means of grace of a mom and a dad in a committed one flesh, one union relationship to grow great kids. But listen, great parents can produce rotten kids. And rotten parents can produce great kids, There's nothing you can do to guarantee you're going to have godly kids. But there's a few things that you can do to almost ensure that you don't have godly kids. And we have to embrace the gift of marriage. I hear parents sometimes say, I just want my kids to have all the things that I didn't have as a kid. And you're thinking of like a PlayStation and an iPhone. Like, why don't you give them a marriage? You know what they really want? They want you to love their biological mother and their biological father for a lifetime. Why don't you give them that? Here's the third thing. Marriage provides children a daily example of godly womanhood and godly manhood. Because they get to see it every day. If you want, you can turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to pull a passage of Scripture out of there. And uh, let me just say before I read it, the immediate context of this passage is actually talking about church leadership. It's talking about elders and pastors. But uh, we can apply it very easily to parenting because it uses a word, shepherding. Let's read it. 1 Peter chapter 5 says this, verses 2 and 3, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I'm sure we have oh, probably hundreds of different occupations represented in the room. Is there anybody here that like your professional occupation is a shepherd? All the shepherds stand up. Yeah. We have no shepherds here today. The reason we have no shepherds is because we have a lack of sheep in northern Indiana here. Now, back in Bible times, there were a lot of shepherds because there was a lot of sheep. Do you know why there were a lot of sheep? Because there was a lot of sin that had to be atoned for. And as a placeover, God created this system to share a word picture with us that the cost of sin was blood. And so these sheep had to be raised in order to be sacrificed so the blood could be shed, giving us a picture that one day the Lamb of God, Jesus, would lay down his life as the Lamb of God shed his blood so there wouldn't have to be any more sacrifice. Once for all, he paid the price for sin with his blood. He's the great shepherd and he's the Lamb of God. So we have this wonderful picture of the gospel in this one word, shepherding. But it's also a picture of parenting. Interestingly, he, he turns a noun into a verb. Shepherd the flock. That's a verb. So what does a shepherd do? Two things. Two things. He leads the sheep and he feeds the sheep. What's your job as a parent? To lead and to feed. You lead them away from danger and into righteousness. In, you lead them away from lies and into truth. You lead them away from threats into safety. You feed the sheep. And that's not just talking about, you know, feed them Doritos and Taquitos. In other words, it rhyme with etos, Cheetos. All, all the best food for children. You, You have to give them spiritual nourishment. Feed them the truth of God's word. And so that's what we do as parents. We shepherd this flock that is among us. And notice he says, we don't do it under compulsion. We do our job willingly. We accept the responsibility to lead and to feed these sheep. Not because I have to but because I want to, not under compulsion. Then he says we're to do it eagerly, not for shameful gain. As a shepherd, what does a shepherd do? He lays down his life for the sheep. Do it eagerly.
0: That's a good reminder from Pastor Trent Griffith, As parents, we have certain responsibilities before God in how we raise our children. Have you ever thought of yourself as a shepherd before? And the state of our marriage does affect our kids. We'll hear the conclusion of that message next week right here on Resonate. And speaking of shepherds, do you have someone watching over your soul? Do you have a spiritual shepherd or shepherds who are overseeing you spiritually? That's what pastors and elders are tasked to do in God's word. And if you're not currently in a church, then guess what? You're more vulnerable to Satan's attacks. So go to church, and if you don't have one, then why not visit Harvest Bible Chapel? We meet four times on Sunday, so there's bound to be a time that fits your schedule. For more information about service times and where we're located, just go to harvestgranger.org. Again, that's harvestgranger.org. And you can follow us on Facebook when you search for Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. So if you're a parent, have you ever thought about your relationship with God being similar to your child's relationship with you? Next week, we'll hear more parenting tips from Pastor Trent. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus and my prayer is that God's word would resonate in your heart and in your home this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio and podcast ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.